All right, I'm excited about this chapter. It's the, it's a letter to the dead church, and um, you definitely don't want to be this in your your own life with the Lord, or as definitely with the church. But I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of rob the ending a little bit. The cool thing that I want you guys to notice as we study through this and we read about this church and we listen to the message that Jesus gave to him is is that with God, there's always hope. Things may look hopeless to us, but with God, there is hope. He's able to breathe life into things that are dead. And we all know that he's done that for us in our lives spiritually. And, 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 and where, there, where, where there appears to be maybe a death or a loss or an impossibility, keep in mind that all things are possible for our God. Amen? Amen. So, this morning as we uh, uh, begin, let's uh, read the first six verses here of this letter to the church of Sardis. And it says in chapter 3, verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come. That's a key verse, okay? That's a key. That's, I would even suggest that, that everything that we read before and everything that we read after hinges on this statement. Therefore, if you will not watch. Okay, guys? I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Listen, guys, 6, verse 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Lord, I pray that would be true. God, we all have ears, um, and, and uh, we can hear, but more importantly, Lord, can we receive with our heart and our mind? And I know that's the intention behind why you said what you said there in verse 6. And so, Lord, if there's, there's something wrong inside our heart with our thinking that needs to be changed, then we can be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would do that work right now of opening up our heart and our mind to you so that we may be transformed through the renewing of our mind by reading and studying your word. God, have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as we've been studying through these letters to the churches, one of the points of application that we've been talking about is prophetic, right? Is we've been talking about is the prophetic. And, and I said there's different prophetic applications, and, and specifically... In regards, the one that I want to mention now is to this thought in regards prophecy in regards to the thought that each letter also represents a described or represents and describes, if you will, a time or a season in the history of the church that we now can look back on and see and maybe even be living in the midst of as we discern what's being prophesied. And many Bible scholars whom I respect believe this letter that was written to the church in Sardis also has a prophetic application to a period of time in church history that began with the bold and courageous act of one man on October 31st, 
1517. And history teaches us that leading up to this historic day, Pope Leo X began a campaign to rebuild the Basilica of St. Peter. And in order to raise the necessary funds for the rebuilding project, he commissioned many men, including one Dominican friar by the name of Johann Tetzel. He commissioned him to travel the world and to sell indulgences to raise the money that was needed for the rebuilding of the basilica. Now, with the purchase of these indulgences, it was taught and believed that a person could purchase forgiveness for the sins that they had committed or for even future sins that they were planning on committing. Furthermore, it was taught and believed that the purchase of an indulgent could also be applied to the sin of a loved one who had already died and was waiting in purgatory for the absolution of their sins. In fact, the Dominican friar, Johann Tetzel, who sold these indulgences, had had, had coined a phrase that had become um, uh, famous down through history in order to help his sales. And this was his, his, his jingle, if you will. He, he, he coined this phrase, As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory into heaven springs. Now, the Catholic theology, seriously, the Catholic theology behind the sale of indulgences, it rested in the belief that faith, alone cannot justify a man. And that justification depends only upon only on such faith as is active in charity and in good works. And the benefits of good works could be attained by donating money to the church. Now, Friar Johann Tessel had been sent to Germany, and during his travels, he was confronted by an, an Augustine monk, a Catholic monk by... Uh, who, who opposed the sale of these indulgences, claiming that they were heretical. He spoke against them on the basis that they were heresy. And this Augustine monk ins- insisted that since forgiveness was God's alone to grant, those who claimed that indulgences absolved the buyer from all punishment and granted them salvation... He, he claimed that he, he stated that they were in error in doing this. In light of this, he said that Christians must not weaken in following, a, following Christ on the account of such false assurances. And this monk had turned from the widely accepted teachings of the church after studying through the book of Romans. And in doing so, he came to the understanding that the Bible teaches us that justification, the act of God declaring a person righteous, is by faith alone. He declared that justification is by faith alone. And being inspired, I would say, by the Holy Spirit to respond to the sale of these indulgences, this Augustine monk named Martin Luther confronted the Roman Catholic Church, first by writing a letter and sending it to his own bishop, Albert of Mainz, protesting that the sale of these indulgences in the letter that he or excuse me, protesting the sale of these indulgences. And in this letter, he attached a copy of a 95-point thesis. He had written and called this, The Disputation of Martin Luther on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences, which began with these words, quote, Out of love and zeal for the truth, and the desire to bring it to light, these are the following, the following thesis will be discussed at Wittenberg under the direction of Reverend Father 
Martin Luther, Master of Arts in Sacred Theology, and regularly appointed lecturer in Wittenberg. Wherefore, he requests that those who are unable to be present and debate orally with us may do so by letter. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And in this letter to, to the bishop, Martin Luther went on to declare that salvation does not come from good works, but it is a free gift of God received only by grace through faith in Jesus as the one who redeems a person from their sin. But as you know, Martin Luther's message was rejected. And on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther responded by nailing his 95-point thesis to the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg. In turn, he was formally excommunicated by the church and the era, if you will, of the Protestant Reformation began. During this time, many wonderful things have occurred as the Protestant church came back to believing the Bible to be the inerrant word of God, to the theological doctrine of sola scriptura, which declares that the scriptures are the sole infallible source of authority for Christian faith and practice, and return to the fundamental teaching that salvation comes by grace, only by grace through faith in Jesus. Yet, listen guys, this is where it becomes applicable to this letter that we are now studying today. Yet many of the reformers quickly settled on creating new religious institutions and new theological ideas instead of putting the emphasis on seeking Jesus and receiving his Holy Spirit. Sadly, many divisions, as we have seen today within the church, has resulted, and from these divisions have come many differing dominations and, more importantly, a lack of understanding of what it means to be a part of the living body of Jesus Christ. A lack of understanding in regards to the life that is received when we abide in the Holy Spirit. And to this church, Jesus writes, to this church, to this age that we are a part of today, I believe that Jesus writes and says, I know you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Verse 1, and to the church that the angel of Sardis write these things, or excuse me, write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. All right, Sardis <clears throat> literally means remnant. And I think it's pretty cool, especially when Jesus goes on to speak to this church and says, says listen, there's, there's death. You're known for death, but there's there's a, there's a little life that can still be clung to. There's a remnant of life that can be clung to. There's some of you who are still holding fast. There's a remnant. And Sardis means remnant. And this city was located about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. And even though the city had started to decline at this time that Jesus had spoken these words to John, when you study out the history of Asia Minor, and specifically in regards to the city of Sardis, what you come to understand is that Sardis was probably the most wealthiest city in all of Asia Minor at one time. It was located on a commercial raid trout, and it had um, and, and, a, and, and actually a large portion of its city's wealth had come from deposits of gold that were in the um, uh, Plactosis River, which ran down from Mount Tolmus into the valley and through the middle of the city. 
Consequently, the city was known um, as a place of decadence. You can imagine that. Great wealth, great decadence, and the people of the city were known for loose living and the love of luxury. And most of the people in Sardis, they worshiped the Greek uh, gods, and in the center of Sardis was a temple dedicated to the worship of the pagan god Artemis. That was, that was their god, if you will, of choice. And Artemis was believed to be the daughter of Zeus, the, Zeus, the, the goddess of the hunt, forest, and hills, the moon, and archery. And like most of the other temples at that time, the temple dedicated to Artemis was notorious for attracting believers uh, and travelers from uh, believers in this false god uh, from very faraway places. But in 17 AD, this temple and most of the city was destroyed when an earthquake shook everything to the ground. And even though the Roman Empire contributed large amounts of money to rebuild Sardis, it took many years for the city to recover and the effects of the disaster was still being felt when this letter was written. Now, just like the previous letters that we've studied through, we read here, if you look, that Jesus opened by identifying himself in a way that was relevant to the needs of those to whom it was written. We want to keep that in mind. And to the church of Sardis, Jesus identifies himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And we remember that the seven stars is a reference to the, to the leaders of the seven churches. We know that from back in, in um, Revelation chapter 1. Now, the number seven, which occurs often in this book, uh, more so by concentration than any other book of the Bible. This number seven is repeated, um, and it refers to the completion. We talked about this when I introduced the book of Revelation. It speaks to completion, fullness, and even to a perfection, okay, uh, of a thing. And the seven spirits of God, which is first mentioned back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, and will be in two additional times in addition to what we read here, it, 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 when you look at the whole of it, we understand this being a Jewish book, that it is a reference to an Old Testament um, um, account or an Old Testament passage of Scripture given to us in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And in that passage of Scripture, um, uh, what we see is that, let me just put it this way, is that Isaiah foretold of the Messiah. And in doing so, in foretelling of the Messiah, he, 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 um, he foretells of the completeness, the fullness, and the perfection of the Holy Spirit that would be contained in the Messiah. And we know that when Jesus began his earthly ministry here upon the earth, that he was baptized by John the Baptist, right? And that at that moment, there was a sound that was heard, a voice that was heard from heaven that said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And we know that the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus and dwelt in him, is what we're told. And so in Isaiah, foretelling of this time and, and how the Messiah would, would have the perfection or the fullness of the completeness of the Holy Spirit, he says this, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And by this, by this statement of, of the one, Jesus being the one who has the seven spirits of God, by this reference, Jesus is again reminding the church of Sardis that he, first of all, is in charge, 
and that he is the Messiah who possesses the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying to this church who is in a state of, 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 of mortification, he says to them, I have the Holy Spirit, and furthermore, you don't. That's what he's saying. I have this, and this is what you need. I have the Holy Spirit, and you don't. I have the Holy Spirit, which gives life, and you are in need of him. The Apostle Paul, writing about this same thing in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, says this. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Wow. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, or excuse me, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And we know that the Bible tells us that we were dead in our sins, dead because of sins. There was no spiritual life in us, and, and, and we were destined for an eternal death. But because of our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has the completeness of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the life-giving Spirit of God, right? We have now been reborn, born again to a new life, to a new nature, free from sin, free from the consequence of sin, no longer destined for eternal death, but <clears throat> destined for eternal life. In almost every one of these letters, with that in mind, Jesus Almost every one of these letters that that Jesus had sent to the seven churches, remember, he first points out something that the church had got right, something that he could praise them for, the things that had pleased him. But notice, to this church that had no life, that did not have literally him in the midst of them any longer, he had nothing good to say about the church overall, and that should say a lot to us. We can have church, we can do church, we can bear the name of Jesus, but if Jesus isn't in us, if he's not the reason why we're gathering together, then there's nothing good. There's no good in me apart from Jesus Christ. There's no good in our church apart from Jesus Christ and the life-giving power that comes through the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing good. As a matter of fact, all that comes forth is death, no life. Even though it may look like it at times and that there may be life, and, and so Jesus had nothing good, rightly so. In fact, he, had, he, he, he immediately said here, if you look, that the church in Sardis was dead, spiritually dead. And even though they had a name, literally think about that, your name is like this way of saying, what's your reputation? How are you characterized to others? He said, he said, he said literally they had a reputation of being alive, that they were, and yet they were full of death. Which is even, even something that's worth. You know what? If there's a dead thing, you're not going to touch it. Unless you've shot it yourself and you're like happy because now you're going to eat it. That kind of thing. But you know what? Go pick up roadkill. You know, anybody wants to do that? Even now, look at our world today with the coronavirus thing that's going around. People are fearful and don't want to touch one another, be in places with one another, because they think it's going to bring forth death. But having an appearance of life and yet being dead is even worse because what you're doing is is you are presenting yourself in a way that is untrue that will bring forth harm into people's lives around you, right? And sadly, guys, such is the case today, I would say, 
My opinion, honestly and truthfully, it is. I think it's a, a well-thought-out opinion, but I think such is the case today with most Protestant churches. As many of them who have once had a name of being spiritually alive are dead today. Why? Because they've forsaken the teaching of the Word of God and they no longer have the Holy Spirit of God to lead them. Bottom line. And like the church in Sardis, most of the denominational churches today have moved away, moved away from the fundamentals of our Christian faith because of that. Whether by denying the infallibility of scriptures, the virgin birth, the atoning sacrifice, the concept of original sin, the depravity of man, and even the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the fact of the matter is, is once the church begins to reject the word of God and stop seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit, there is no life found in them or in what they teach. And the truth is, is they are Christians only in name. And we do not have to look very hard and see that many churches today claim the name of Jesus, take the title of Christian, and deny what the Bible says and deny what Jesus taught. And the bottom line is the church can even the church can even can have a cross and even may have a name that identifies them such as them as 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 a Christian or as Christian, such as Lutheran or Presbyterian, Wesleyan, Methodist, Congregationalist, Baptist. The end goes the list goes on and on and on. But you know what? Just to have these names that imply that you're a Christian does not mean that you are true Christians or that the Spirit of God is residing within you. And the same is true individually. And simply calling ourselves a Christian does not make us one. And, and, and contrary to what some people believe, going to church and doing religious things, which have this appearance of life outwardly, does not make a person of Christians, I mean, does not make a person a true Christian who has the life of God inside of them. On the contrary, a person is a Christian when they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We are Christians because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and as a result, we have an intimate and personal relationship with Him. And when a person is, is filled with the Holy Spirit, when a person is indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, you know what happens? They follow after Jesus in a newness of life, and they submit to His Lordship. A life where the old things have passed away, and all things have become new, and with the Holy Spirit, we walk by faith following after Jesus' example, and daily living holy lives for him. And the fact of the matter is, is that in our own strength, guys, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power, we cannot live a holy or fruitful life. We need a relationship with Jesus where he is guiding us, and we need the, holy, the power of the Holy Spirit to control us. Only the Spirit of God can trans transform a person. And without the Holy Spirit, we individually and as a church, we are only left to operate in our flesh. And when we operate in the power of our flesh, all we have to, all we have to rely on is our own resources. All we have to rely on is our own strength, our own wisdom. Yet we are reminded that it cannot be this way by the prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, which simply says this, not by power not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
And again, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 24, we're also reminded of the importance of knowing God and, and, and having a personal relationship with Him where it says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Period. So in verse 2, with that being said, Jesus goes on and says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And in these next verses, it's clear that Jesus cared about these believers. He cared about them. Even the spiritual condition that they were in, he cared about them. And his desire was for them to be spiritually healed. And the counsel he gave this church began with, be watchful. How many times have we heard that in Scripture? Be watchful. In other words, wake up. Pay attention, man. And even, I I can't think of more appropriate words in light of the times that we're living in, in light of the season that we're living in. I'm not even just talking about what's taken place in this last couple of weeks. I think that's just fruit and evidence of uh, and tearing down some of the, 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 the veils of deception that is presenting everything to be okay when we know that any minute, deep down, that it can all just fall apart. And when things like this occur, we go, yeah, we're, in one, one way we're not surprised, in the other way we're shocked. But it is the times and the seasons that we're living in. And as a result of that, in these last days, the Bible says, God says to us as believers, be watchful, wake up, pay attention, examine and protect those things that still have some life. You see, the first step towards revival, I'm going to use that word a couple of times now because I think that's important. I think that's what God's calling this church to. I think that's what God's calling us to. He's calling our church to, the churches in Canyon City, the churches in the United States, worldwide, calling our nation to, is to this place of revival. And the first step towards revival, either individual or that of a church or of a nation, is an honest evaluation and awareness of the fact that something is wrong. Can we agree to that? And the fact of the matter is, is with any living thing, there is growth. Think about this. Because God uses the, 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 the natural in, 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 in connection to the spiritual and the spiritual in connection to the natural. And, and, and so we might understand. And, and, and with any living thing, when you begin to think about it, you who farm like Scott Hall know, you who try to garden like me kind of know, <laughs> but there's growth. And with growth, there's repair. And with repair, there's reproduction. And ultimately, there's power in the fruit that's produced whatever it is. But if these elements are lacking spiritually in our lives, individually or in our church, if those elements are lacking spiritually in regards to to the spiritual aspects of our lives, individually or in our inner church, then it's reasonable to assume that something is wrong and that spiritual death is taking place if there's no growth, repair, reproduction, or power. And the church at Sardis had some things that were wrong. And they were being called to be aware of their spiritual condition. 
Not so they could figure out how to fix their problem, but so that they would see their condition, so that they would see their need, and then come to Jesus who has the Holy Spirit of life that they were in need of. And this is the basis. This is the basis for the this was the basis for the second instruction to strengthen the things which remain. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. And with this we see that even though the spiritual condition of the church of Sardis is bad, what we see is this is it wasn't hopeless. That's awesome. Because even when I look at my own life sometimes and I see my, my continuation in certain areas of sin or where I stumble or I fall, sometimes I go, it's just hopeless. Or I look at my loved one or someone who I know that's walked away from the Lord or, or, or the state of the church, right? And I go, oh, it's, it's hopeless. Why even try? You know, we examine, and we, we, but Jesus examines, and he calls us to examine, and he says, strengthen what remains. It's not hopeless. Furthermore, this instruction reveals that Jesus had not given up on them. Even when we may give up on ourselves or on other people, Jesus doesn't. He had not given up on them. To the church that said, listen, you're dead, he didn't give up on them. And in light of this, we must see that Jesus is not only our Savior who gives us life, he's also our healer who sustains life and gives us what we need to be healed and to get back to the place that we need to be. Remember, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah again spoke about the Messiah who would come, and he said this, Behold, chapter 42, verses 1 through 3, Behold, My servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in a street. Why? Because a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. And so often when an individual or a church is struggling, when spiritual life is quickly fading, rather than taking some kind of honest assessment or strengthening that, that, or, or going to strengthening that which remains, the tendency is to do this. Well, we'll just do something new. We'll create some new program. And like the world, the modern church is always looking, and like the world, the modern church today is always looking for the next new thing to save them from the problems that they have and breathe some kind of sense of life back into them instead of returning to Jesus and to the word of God. And the truth is is no no amount of the next new thing or any new church program can bring any lasting change or restore that which is about to die. And this is why Jesus went on to say in verse three, remember Be watchful, strengthen what remains, and remember and go back to the things that you had first heard and received and hold fast to these things. Don't do some new thing in your own wisdom, in your own strength, in your own mind. Go back. And these were the foundational things found in in the truth of God's word that had first spawned new life in them. What is that? The good news message of the salvation of God by grace through faith. Forgiveness of and freedom from sins through the sacrificial sacrificial death of the Son of God who loves us. 
restoration and reconciliation to our Heavenly Father who created us and resurrection from death into new life and the eternal life through Jesus, through, his, through Jesus' own resurrection from the grave. Go back to that. And the truths are, the, 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 these truths are, are, are what had given and had sustained their spiritual life, and if they did not repent, if they did not return back to the Word of God and, and the basic foundation, the, these basic foundations of their faith, listen, then Jesus said, if you don't go back to that, he said he would come upon them like a thief. And they would not be ready for, the, for him. In other words, on that day when he would come back to take his church, they would not be prepared and they would suffer a loss. And the sad fact is, is that the Christians in Sardis, listen guys, and I, and I think when we go through things like what we're going through in our world today, uh, uh, it brings us to, the, to our senses. It, other people go out of their mind, but I think it helps us as believers get back to our right mind. But this is what had happened. They, they had stopped ultimately when Jesus had said to them, here in verse uh, 4, therefore, if you will not watch, that, that implies that they weren't watching, right? And the implication here is, is that they stopped looking for the Lord's return, and it adversely affected the way that they were living. And the same fact is, is, is also true of most denominational churches today. And even though the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus will come back for his church on a day and an hour when no one knows, most Christians today are not living obediently or watching and waiting expectantly for Jesus' return. But remember, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44, said, Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. The Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. And we can know the time and the season, even though we do not know the day or the hour. And, and it is the time. It is the season. And we need to be living expectantly. And the point is, is when we are watching expectantly and waiting hopefully for the, for the Lord's return, knowing that it could happen at any moment, it'll affect the way that we live. And it will cause us to consider every decision that we make. In short, we will watch to make sure that we are prepared for our Savior's return. And in doing so, what will happen is this. We will hold fast to the truths we first received when we heard and believed. And the spiritual life that we received when we first believed will be sustained in us until that day of our Lord's return. He will sustain it in us. Why? Because we're looking to him the giver and the sustainer of life. And when that day comes, the Bible tells us that will either be a day of salvation for those who have been watching and waiting expectantly, or it'll be a day of loss. It'll be a day of condemnation and a day of judgment for those who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And for believers who are walking, for believers who have the Spirit of God in them and not yet not have any life flowing out of them, the Bible says even we will suffer loss. And we're going to stand before God on that day and he's going, your, per your works were not perfect. And all these imperfect works, you know what? They're going to be burned up is what the Lord says. We're going to suffer loss. So in verse four it says, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled 
their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. A remnant, he says. He who, who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and, and, and before his angels. He who is an ear to ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, even, even in Sardis, in the midst of this spiritually feeble church, this church that had that it had atrophy, it had just, it was dead. Even in the midst of this death, there were some, Jesus said, who were still faithfully walking with him, some who were empowered and being led by the Holy Spirit. And to these overcomers, Jesus promised to clothe them in a white garment. And that's a picture of righteousness, right? Of purity, of holiness, Holiness of God that is given to those who have a personal relationship with him. To those who will walk in and live by faith in Jesus. Let me say that again. For those who will walk in faith and live by faith in Jesus. What is that? Righteousness, purity, and holiness. And to those who wear this this white garment, the white garment of Jesus' righteousness, more importantly, it says their name will not be blotted out from the book of life. And on that day of judgment, when all of mankind will stand before God, and each person individually will give an account, the promise is this, my most favorite part of these letters. Jesus says here, I'll stand up for you. He'll stand up for you. He'll stand up for us. And he will confess our name before the Father. Debbie, if you and the worship team want to come up, I want to close with this. In closing, I want to point out that the warning for us today is simply this. The warning for us today is to not grow comfortable or complacent in our churches and in our relationship with Jesus. We know that in any relationship, if you allow those two things to creep in, it goes downhill in your marriage, in your friendships. If you are not intentional on the relationship part of it, 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 it slowly dies. And so in our relationship with Jesus, the warning is don't go comfortable. Don't take it for granted. Don't be complacent in our churches or in our relationship with him individually, uh, uh, unless we will find ourselves slowly dying in that aspect of it, either as a church or individually as we separate ourselves from that life giver. And the encouragement that we can take with us as we leave here this morning is that, hear this, for those of you who um, have looked around and may have had a sense of loss of hope, know this, that no church... And no individual is beyond hope as long as there's a willingness to turn back to Jesus and to allow for him to strengthen the things that remain. Remember, Matthew chapter 10, the words of Jesus, verses 32 through 33. Jesus says this simply, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess by my Father before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So let us, who have an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says.
to the church. Father, thank you, God, for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we find as we study your word together, as we worship you together, as we fellowship together. Lord, as we have koinonia, intimacy with one another through you. Lord, thank you for this reminder that apart from you, there's no life. And so, Lord, we again invite you back into every area of our lives, those parts, Lord, that have died, that zeal and that, that, that passion were where we become complacent. Father, where, where um, we've neglected the most important things, where we've grown comfortable. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would repent, that we would remember, that we would hold fast to the things that are true, that are still alive, that we would return, Lord, to what we first put our faith and trust in. Or strip everything else away. I know that's what you're doing in times like this for us and for the world, is you're stripping away all these false idols, these things that we think are gonna, gonna save us or, or protect us. And Lord, as the world is, is, is truly fearful and, and, and paranoid and, and filled with a sense of hopelessness on one level or another, God, may we be a light and a testimony to those around us not only by the words that we speak, by the things we profess, but Lord, more so by the way we, love, we live, that we would live in your power, according to your strength, according to your might, in love, Lord, and with a sound mind. Lord, we can't do that apart from you. Even though we know that's what, what we got, how we gotta act and how we gotta to respond, Lord, we can't, we're helpless apart from you. There's no way we can do this in our own strength. So God, we call out to you and ask that you would strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.